You are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. From John 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. good to see you. Um, Happy Father's Day to you dads. Uh, Man, most days I don't know what I'm doing as a dad, Um, but here we're celebrating what we do as dads, uh, even though most of us don't know what we're doing. But praise be to God uh, that we have a uh, just a perfect father that we can model our parenting and our fathering after, and he is very kind and very gracious to us, and he is always present, consistent, faithful, and and loving, and so uh, all of us dads that fail every day, um, thank the Lord for for our God and Father of Jesus Christ, and and I hope today is a great day for you. Uh, It truly is uh, the greatest thing in the world to be a dad, and um, I wish I didn't wait so long after I was married to be a dad, but but we did, and here we are, Um, because I'm old now, and I have three little kids, and I'm worn out all the time. a lot, to, uh, a lot to celebrate this last week, a lot of things to celebrate. Uh, last Sunday after church, 
Hudson Parker, Eric's son, came up to me and said uh, that he had trusted in Christ that week, which is awesome. And then I had lunch with Eric on Thursday, and he said that later that week, Elizabeth, his daughter, trusted Christ as well. And so it's just an amazing thing to see God's grace working in families throughout this church. Uh, We had a family gathering Wednesday night. We affirmed three new members to our body, which was awesome, awesome to be there and see these new members with us. Went to Six Flags on Friday with a bunch of students and kids and felt like I got hit by a train the next day, but that's all right. Uh, We spread dirt uh, Friday night and Saturday around the playground, so thank you Shannon Carden and everybody that helped out with that. Uh, It's, man, thank you for the sacrifice and service you guys gave to our church those nights. And it's just a lot, a lot of good stuff that God's doing among us. And so I hope that we just continue just to stop and thank the Lord for his grace in us and to us as a body um, and as families in this body. Uh, This morning, we're continuing with week three of four in our June sermon series on shepherding, where God is our shepherd, we are the sheep of his pasture. Um, And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, just I'll just briefly recap for you kind of where we've been. So the first week, we looked at Psalm chapter 23, probably the most famous Psalm and all the Psalter, and the Lord is my shepherd, you know, I shall not want. We looked at God as our shepherd who leads us by still waters and into green pastures and protects us from harm and danger with his rod and his staff that bring us comfort from his protection. We looked at how he is constantly pursuing us with his goodness and his mercy all the days of our life. And then last week we unpacked Ezekiel 34, which is uh, an indictment on the wicked shepherds of Israel. You know, these, these men that had uh, just forsaken their call and their office as leaders of God's people. They just took and took and took from the sheep and little, little care, little sacrifice on their behalf uh, for the sake of the sheep. And we brought that into kind of our modern day context and talked about just church hurt, you know, at the hands of leaders uh, in our bodies that many of us have experienced uh, in churches we've been a part of our entire lives. And in Ezekiel 34, God promises to shepherd the sheep himself by sending his own shepherd, his own servant, who would care for the sheep in all the ways that his shepherds were failing when Ezekiel gives that prophetic word. And we ended last week kind of looking forward to this week. So let me read for you two verses from last week in Ezekiel 34 just to kind of springboard us into our text this week in John chapter 10. This is Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24. It's the Lord speaking through Ezekiel, and he says this in Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24. It says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, the people awaited this shepherd, this son of David, as Jesus is called in the New Testament, the servant of the Lord who would feed the sheep and guide the sheep and lead the sheep and care for the sheep. And fast forward those hundred years of waiting to the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, one of the primary themes of the Gospel of John, our text, the kind of the context of where we're at today is the identity of Jesus. You know, all throughout this book, the Gospel of John, 
You have conversations between Jesus and people in this story where he's revealing bits and pieces about who he is, his identity. And if we're to back up to John chapter 9, the chapter previous to the one we're looking at today, we'd read about Jesus healing a blind man who'd been blind from birth. And the day Jesus chose to heal this man was on the Sabbath day, which was a big no-no for the Pharisees if you read the gospel accounts. And the means Jesus used to restore this guy's sight was he spit in some dirt and made mud and put that mud on this guy's eyes, which is kind of gross, but if you're blind since birth, I don't think you care very much how you're going to find your healing, right? And Jesus tells this guy to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this guy goes and washes and his sight is restored. He can see. But making mud on a Sabbath was considered work and a violation of Sabbath rest. And so when the Pharisees inquire from this formerly blind man what had happened, and they hear him say, well, Jesus healed me, this this Sabbath breaker, according to the Pharisees, they are just envious and they're outraged at the Sabbath breaker, this false prophet in their eyes healing this man on a Sabbath. And they don't believe the blind man, his testimony. So they start to ask people who knew him. Is this guy, did you know him? Yeah, he used to be blind. Now he's seen. They call his parents in. They're like, hey, is this your son? Like, yeah, that's our son. How did he regain his sight? I mean, I don't know. He's a grown man. Why don't you ask him? (laughs) Um, And they call in again. So they're like, okay, we'll ask him again. So they call the formerly blind man in again. They're like, hey, how did you get your sight back? And I want us to read his response because I think it's it's just beautiful. Um, So if you've got a Bible, flip back to John chapter 9. Uh, beginning in verse 24, John 9, 24. There's a point to me going back to John 9. I'll get to in a second. But John chapter 9, verse 24. So for the second time, they, the Pharisees, called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The blind man answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This, why? this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you are born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now when you take into account John 9 and the monologue of Jesus from John 10, when you, have Ezekiel, when you have Ezekiel 34 in the back of your minds, these wicked shepherds of Israel where they had failed and God was going to send his son to be the good shepherd, a servant David, to be the shepherd of the people, not to cast out those who've truly seen, but to welcome them in. You know, when you have that context in your mind, we see that what John is doing and putting John 9 with John 10 is he's playing out in real time Ezekiel 34. That Jesus is juxtaposing the wicked shepherds of Israel with the good shepherd in Jesus. 
He's demonstrating that the days of the wicked shepherds of his people are over and that the good shepherd has arrived to bring restoration to a broken people. You know, Jesus, oftentimes in his teaching, he would take something really common, you know, something all the people would be familiar with, you know, farming or fishing or gardening or building houses. He would take those things and he would teach eternal truth through those very common, simple things. And that's what he's doing. In addition to claiming to be the good shepherd, he's teaching through something these people would understand in John chapter 10. You know, Jesus in these verses, John 10, 1 to 21, he uses two primary metaphors from everyday life for these Israelites. He uses the metaphors of shepherding and doors. Shepherding and doors. And from these 21 verses, we see two primary points he's trying to communicate. And the first one is this. Easy, simple. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He says as much. He's the good shepherd. He's painting for them a word picture here in these verses, using this vivid imagery to describe his role in the lives of those he leads, who follow him. You know, shepherding is, is something we're probably not as familiar with in our American context. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work off the assumption that you've never been a shepherd, nor do you know any shepherds. Maybe you do, but I'm just going to go on a hunch there and say that. If you do, I'd love to talk to you. But in an agrarian society, which was... This day and age, in John chapter 10, shepherding was a big deal. It was a major source of income for a lot of people in the ancient Roman world. And this shepherd sheep imagery, as we talked about the last few weeks, it runs all throughout the entire Bible. You know, many leaders that were called to lead God's people were formerly shepherds. You know, Moses, David, Jacob. In Psalm 23, we preached on it a couple of weeks ago. The Lord's my shepherd. He calls his leaders in Israel and in the local church in the New Testament shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God, 1 Peter chapter 5. It's been entrusted to your care. So shepherds, shepherding this image is all throughout the scriptures. And here Jesus is telling us that he is the good shepherd. This, this perfect picture of what all shepherds, all spiritual leaders were intended to be. And he begins to tell us what makes him a good shepherd. He says, first, he goes before us. He goes before us. Read with me again verses 2 and 3. John chapter 10. We're back in John 10. It says, And he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. You know, before any of us walk through any doors into the sheep pen, so to speak, our good shepherd walks through that door first, right? He leads us. He's leading us through the door. And he enters through the door, and we follow through that door. Not only does Jesus go before us in leading us, but second, the gatekeeper knows the shepherd. The gatekeeper knows the shepherd. You see that in verse 3, we just read. You know, the reason the gatekeeper opens the gate or the door to begin with is that the shepherd belongs there. And the one guarding the entrance makes way for the shepherd with his sheep in tow. You know, the way this probably would have looked in that day, if I'm trying to show us what it would look like, is, is there probably would have been a community sheep pen in a lot of villages and a lot of towns in that day. They would have hired someone where a lot of families would have put their own sheep in the same pen. They would have hired someone called an under-shepherd to watch that sheep pen, to care for this flock of sheep. 
And those authorized to enter would do so by way of the gate or the door. There was only one way to get into the sheep pen. It was through the gate. Anybody that tries to climb over the walls, as Jesus explains here, and common sense would tell us, is probably trying to do harm to the sheep or steal the sheep. They're not coming in the prescribed way into the sheep pen, into the fold. You know, when I was uh, in high school in Mississippi, uh, my best friend, best friend to this day, uh, his dad was an actor. And for my 16th birthday, uh, my friend Logan, he invited me to go with him and his family to this event in Amory, Mississippi, called Stars Over Mississippi. And the purpose of this event was to bring in celebrities and have this like charity dinner and concert and auction to raise money for this youth scholarship foundation in Mississippi. So my friend Logan invited me to go and be part of that with him, with his movie star father. I thought it was, it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and there were tons of celebrities there that were pretty big in the early 2000s when I was in high school. Like Whoopi Goldberg was there. Ray Romano was there. I sat next to Ray Romano in a, a trailer. So it's awesome. Um, he probably remembers who I am. Um, <laughs> Brooks and Dunn did a concert. It was awesome. That's right. Um, amen for that. Um, but that was a big deal. Early 2000s is a pretty big deal. Delta Burke was there. Anyway. Um, if you don't know who she is, that's okay. Um, and there were numerous times, numerous times throughout that weekend that I was granted access to places and events simply because I was with Mr. Gary, the actor, my buddy's dad. You know, if those people guarding those places and spaces didn't know the person I was with, Mr. Gary, they would not have let me into those places and those spaces. And it's the same thing that's happening here. The only reason you have access, and I have access, to walk through the door into the sheepfold full of life and full of pasture and full of good things is because of the shepherd we're with. Not because of you, not because of me, but it's the shepherd's identity and credentials that get us in, not anything else. And not only... Does this good shepherd Jesus go before you, before me? Not only does the gatekeeper know the shepherd, but third, the shepherd knows the sheep. Shepherd knows the sheep. Look at verses three through five. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus says the same thing down in verses 14 and 15, where he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So if you have a, a sheep pen, a place to keep these sheep, and that sheep pen is filled with sheep from all different kinds of owners, right? If it's a community shared sheep pen, it's very important that the sheep that belong to a shepherd calling them know the voice of the shepherd, right? Or they'll follow a shepherd they do not know. I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, other, there's a lot of videos on YouTube, if you want to go look at it later, of non-shepherds trying to call the sheep that are not theirs. So they're using literally the same call the shepherd's using to try to call these sheep to themselves, and they can't do it. The sheep don't even respond. Then the shepherd gets up, and he starts speaking, and the sheep just come to him because they know the voice of the shepherd. They know his voice. 
They won't listen to these imposter shepherds. It's truly amazing. It's truly an amazing thing to look at. You should go Google it. But Jesus compares this knowledge the sheep have of the shepherd. He compares the knowledge of the shepherd of, to the sheep. He compares the knowledge, the intimate knowledge there, to the shared knowledge between the father and the son. I mean, that's the foundation. It's the ground of the knowledge shared between Jesus and his flock is the knowledge that the Father has of the Son and the Son has of the Father. It's just the apex of intimacy here. And there are two things to notice here in these verses about the shepherd knowing the sheep. One, he knows their names. He knows their names. Eric did such a good job with this earlier You know, if you're a Christ follower in this room, when Jesus called you to follow him, you know, it wasn't just some generic blanket call to whoever, whoever wants to come can come. That might have been how you received it in a room like this size. Maybe you were told, asked, you know, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? But what was happening in the spiritual realm in that moment was he was calling you from death to life. You. And he was bestowing upon you a new name now. Now, The Atlantic uh, publication I read every once in a while um, had an article in 2022 entitled, uh, Why American Teens Are So Sad. That was the title of the article. It starts off like this. I'm going to read it, just a portion of it for you. It says, The United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, according to a new CDC study. It's the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. The article goes on to list four reasons why the author believes this to be the case. But if I had to synthesize those, summarize those four reasons into one overarching reason, I think it would be this. Teenagers don't feel known. They don't feel like anybody knows who they are. They may have thousands of friends on a page, but they don't have any friends in real life. And even if others were to know who they were, there's fear that the people who know them won't even like them when they find out who they truly are. You know, many of you in this room uh, were in high school between the years of 2009 and 2021. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you were in high school before then and can still relate to this. Maybe, maybe let's bring it here to, to Emmanuel Church just real quick. Maybe you would fall into this category in the sense that you're in a GC You're here regularly on Sundays. You're super active and involved in our body, but but nobody here truly knows who you are. They don't know you. You know, in the Bible, a person's name was often wrapped up in their character. Kind of went hand in hand. You know, God makes great promises to Abram, fatherless, or sorry, he's not a fatherless, a sonless, childless old man in Genesis, telling him his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, Genesis chapter 15. And then God changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of many. Jacob, his name means deceiver in Hebrew. He who grasps the heel, which is an idiom, a Hebrew idiom for somebody that deceives a lot. He's a liar, which pretty much sums up Jacob. 
Jesus, his name means God is salvation, which is why Jesus came in the first place, to grant salvation by grace through faith in him. So you want to know the significance of the good shepherd calling you and and I by name to follow him in John chapter 10. It's this, that Jesus doesn't just know your name. He knows every intimate detail about who you are. And he still chooses to call you. He knows your joys. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows your sins. He knows your struggles. He knows them all, and he still calls you by name. You know, Dale Carnegie, uh, he said a lot of dumb things, but he did say a good thing. He said this. He said, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. In the midst of so many ways, our culture tends to provide us with fake friendships, social media, with distant work relationships, with distant church relationships, In a world where you can have many friends and yet have no true friends, no one that truly knows you, Jesus Christ knows every single thing about you, thought, word, and action, and he still desires for you to follow him. And as he calls our names, we know his voice. We know it. His sheep know his voice. Uh, Memorial Day, a couple of weeks ago, I took my kids. What were you, what were you doing on Memorial Day? Were you in a training? Yeah. I was on my own. Um, um, with my kids, we went to Trustville Park, and uh, it's more of a holiday. There's a ton of people out there, a ton of families, a ton of parents, a ton of kids. And um, with three kids that can move, it's like, okay. Who's, I'm trying to keep my two eyes on three kids at the same time, and Ellie just wants to swing all the time, so I'm like locked into her. I can't do anything else. She can't pump her legs yet, so I'm pushing her. I'm trying to watch Riley over here, and Aiden's right next to us because I just keep him wherever I can right here. And there's just a ton of people and a ton of noise and a ton of voices and a ton of people talking to one another, all these things, and yet in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the noise, all I had to do was go, Riley, She knew my voice. She looked at me. She came. The sheep know the sound of the master's voice, and they respond in the midst of all the noise. This world full of voices and noises and messages trying to tell us who we are and what to believe and what to reject and what to accept. In a world full of all these kinds of messages, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They hear his voice, and they listen to those messages, the the messages from the Lord, and they find life, not death. Those other messages just lead to death. The voice of Christ leads to life. And so my question for you is, do you know his voice? And are you familiar with the voice of the shepherd in the midst of all the voices you hear every day? You know, the primary way the Lord speaks to us is through his word. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? Do you know his word? Would you, able to, would you be able to hear the messages cultures throwing at you every day and discern, is the voice of Christ in this? Can I hear him here? What voices are you listening to? What voices do you allow to speak into your life every day? 
You know, think about how you start your day each morning. What's, what's, what are the first voices that speak into your morning? The first ones. If you're like me, my alarm goes off, and what do I do first? Just guess. Say What? what yeah, I'm a coffee. Yeah, got to get out of bed for that first. I reach for my phone, right? Turn my alarm off, reach for my phone, and then I start to scroll. News, sports, bank account. Before I even speak to the Lord, I'm having voices speaking to me already. It's the first thing I do. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with checking your phone first thing in the morning. But oftentimes, the first voices of the day shape the rest of the day, right? I mean, how many times am I provoked to stress and anxiety by something I've read or a number on a screen or whatever I'm thinking about the rest of the day? It's the first voice I hear speaking in my life. You know, maybe rather than reaching for our phones, my phone, maybe we reach for our Bibles instead. Maybe we set our phones away from us so we have to get up to turn it off and then we can walk away from it rather than having it just sit here next to us inviting us to be consumed by it. You now, listening to the voice of the shepherd, it will help shape, weed out all the noise of every other narrative you're hearing on a day-to-day basis. So can you hear, can you hear the true narrative of Christ in the fog of all of those other voices? You know, we desire to make the real Jesus known, right? It's part of our vision statement. We, want to make, we desire to make the real Jesus known. Well, it's hard to make known someone whose voice we can't even recognize. So many false narratives, so many false gospels, so many false messages, so many false messiahs claiming to fulfill us and bring something they cannot produce. Do we know Jesus well enough to hear his voice through all the noise? He knows our names. Sheep know his voice. Next, next. Jesus is the good shepherd in that the shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Look at verse 11. 11 through 13. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then he says it again in verse 15, then again in verses 17 and 18, that Jesus sacrifices his life for the sheep. You know, one of the uh, images that pops into my mind first when I think about Jesus as a shepherd are those old, like, uh, paintings on the walls of, like, churches I grew up in where Jesus is, like, this serene, like, you know, smooth-skinned man holding this lamb, like, you know, petting this lamb. There's, like, an aura, you know, shining in from behind him. That's what I think of. (laughs) But that is not right, all right? It's not right. But that's in my mind. It's in my mind. But we talked about this before, that shepherding was a dangerous, tough job. You know, it wasn't for the weak of heart. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the dangers that come with that with wild animals. I mean, you hear David talking about how he would grab lions and bears and, like, beat them to death, you know, when they tried to come after the sheep. They're braving the elements. They're outside all day, rain, snow, sleet, shine, whatever. They're out there. They're alone all day most of the time. 
You know, you would be dirty, grimy, smelly, gross. It was a tough, tough job. And here Jesus discusses himself as the good shepherd and the primary fact that he was willing to die for the sheep, to die for them, which seems backwards because when the shepherd dies, the sheep are vulnerable, right? But not when the good shepherd dies. When the good shepherd dies on account of their flock, for their flock, he goes headlong into danger so that the flock may be saved from danger. And the logical question, if, if the Lord is our shepherd, Jesus is our good shepherd, kind of leading us and guiding us, the logical question is, well, where is he leading us? Where are we going? We can follow really poor leaders. I mean, I can tell you story after story of my own life of following people and voices that led me to nowhere good. So where is the good shepherd taking us? Quite simply, second kind of metaphor here in this text, Jesus is the only door to life. He's leading us through and to himself. He's the door. He leads us into pastures of flourishing and life and goodness as he leads us through himself into himself. Look at verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Four quick observations here. Quick observations. It's Jesus as the door, this shifting metaphor here. First, Jesus provides safety from danger. Safety from danger. He's not only the shepherd that defends us, he's the door that protects us. I mean, doors protect, right? The stronger your door, the more likely it is to keep out intruders, keep people out. If your door's flimsy, people are getting in. They may want to seek to do you harm. Jesus protects those who are his from the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, we have an enemy here who would love nothing more than to bring destruction upon us. And Jesus, as our shepherd and strong door, will guard our souls from danger. He guards us, protects us. Second, Jesus offers flourishing, not languishing. Flourishing, not languishing. Verse 9 says that when we enter through, the, through Jesus into life, we find pasture. Pastures are places of nourishment. Pastures are places of rest. Pastures are places of refreshment, places of plenty. You know, oftentimes we seek to find pasture on our own through our own means and devices. We seek to find acceptance in other people. We seek to find security in our possessions or our status or our bank account. We seek to find our need for intimacy and, and sex. We seek to find happiness through all things that bring nothing but sadness and loneliness and isolation. We enter through all these other doors that are not Jesus. And instead of finding the pasture, we feel we've been promised by those things. We find dry, we find, find dry barren, and parched land, not pastures. Jesus offers what we need in this life to flourish, to thrive, to find satisfaction for our soul's deepest desires. Third, 
Jesus comes to give, not to take. Comes to give. We talked a little bit about this last week, but our, our enemy, the devil, he comes to steal, right? Verse 10. He comes to steal. You know, all other doors you may walk through, seek to walk through to find your satisfaction and fulfillment will do nothing but take from you. Take from you. They'll steal from you. They'll steal your identity. They'll steal your time. They'll steal your passion. Steal your joy. All other doors apart from Christ have thieves on the other side of them. And those thieves want to assault you and take something from you. And Jesus doesn't take from you, church. He doesn't take from you. In fact, the entire reason he came to earth to begin with was to give up something for you. His life on the cross. You know, if there is anything that Jesus did take, it was your sin. The penalty for your sin, he took that. But he gave you eternal life because he is the door. He is the shepherd and he leads us to pasture. Fourth, fourth. Jesus grants life, not death. The enemy kills, verse 10. He steals, kills, destroys. But Jesus comes to bring life and bring it abundantly. It's not just life to its full capacity in this world, but it's life eternal. It's life with him forever. And this life is the source of our mutual joy. You know, our, our shepherd, he finds joy in giving us life. And we find joy in receiving that life. And I want you to see that. I've got a, I've got a video I want you to watch, just of a shepherd feeding his sheep. I just want you to watch this video.
Han är en champion, så jag körde han är körde från det här. For those of you that don't speak Norwegian, um, his wife asked him, what does the farmer have to say? which he responds with clear joy and delight on his face. He says, the farmer says, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and he knows theirs. And they both say, amen. And Jesus said in John 11, final, John 15, 11, his final discourse to his disciples before he goes to the cross, he said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. I love this video so much for a variety of reasons. I think you see a diverse sheepfold. I think you see him not becoming impatient as the sheep take their time. He even waits for those stragglers coming in at the end. But I love it so much for the biggest reason because I think it captures the joy of the shepherd. And do you think, do you think about Jesus like that? Do you, think, do you think about him and the fact that he delights to care for you? That he delights to meet your needs, that he delights when you depend upon him. That his joy is full when he leads you. That you're not draining upon him. But he takes great pleasure when you hear and respond to his voice. And the question is on the flip side, is your joy full? Is your delight in the shepherd? You know, he delights in leading us. Do we delight in following him? You know, I think a lot of us probably feel like a sheep in that fog right now. confused, disoriented, trying to figure out where the Lord is, where the voice is, where the shepherd is. And then in that chaos of the fog, the sheep, they hear the call of the shepherd. 
and they know I need to go that way to find direction and life and flourishing. He's speaking, church. He's speaking to us even now. He has called you by your name. He knows your voice. May we ask him for the grace to hear his and the joy to respond. Let's pray together.